You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey everyone and welcome back to Page to Stage, a conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds. So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, my name is Jenna Clark Embry, and I'm the literary manager at Signature Theater, and I'm also the owner of Salt Girl Consulting, which is a dramaturgy firm. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. We have not had someone in the literary dramaturgy field, and we're both very excited because I'm very interested in that in that subject and in that career path, and I know that we, neither one of us know a lot about it, so we have tons of questions. <laughs> I had to do a lot of looking up what it was. I mean, I knew what a dramaturg was, but... Um, yeah, I just didn't know what a literary manager was. So I'm really excited to unpack that with you today. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you find yourself in the world of literary management? Sure. Um, well, it, for me, it always has been kind of in conjunction with dramaturgy. And the way I discovered dramaturgy, which was the way a lot of people do, which is just like in college, someone told me that a dramaturg was a thing. Um, so the career paths were always kind of presented to me as like as intertwined um so they've never really been separated uh in my mind and I went to grad school for dramaturgy and we were told like this is the job you then become a literary manager in the 
the very few literary management jobs that there are, um, which was not a thing that I knew about before I went to grad school. Um, and so after grad school, I started to try to figure out what I was going to do full time. And I ended up in um, marketing, actually, uh, and kind of bided my time and did some really cool things until a literary management job opened up. Uh, and then I started in my position, gosh, like five years ago now at Signature. But at Signature, uh, literary management and dramaturgy is definitely the same thing. So I serve as production dramaturg for all the shows there. Um, so that's kind of that path a little bit. Going back to school, what was, or I guess, was there one person or were there a group of people who really inspired you and kind of helped you, guide you through this path? <laughs> sure, totally. I the There have been a lot of people who are really um, instrumental in my dramaturgy path. The first one um, is definitely, I was a double major in English and theater in college, and which kind of felt like really conflicted at the time. Uh, And then I had a professor, Victoria Sams, who uh, was actually in the English department, but she specialized in dramatic literature. And so it was in her classes that I kind of first got exposed to a lot of contemporary plays it's the first time I read like Sam Shepard and Ethel Hugard actually a lot of guys who then I ended up working with at Signature and she was just like an amazing analyst of plays and I was thought to myself how do I get to do this all the time because this sounds really great just talking about plays so she really definitely like guided me um, in terms of my own like critical thinking about plays. Um, and then I wandered to Boston, <laughs> where there is a great, uh, there was a great dramaturgy program at the American Repertory Theater that's sadly no longer there. And that was just like a really fruitful time um, to kind of be studying theater. And I went to Russia for three months and studied dramaturgy there. And some of my professors there, um, Arthur Holmberg was another really great professor of mine. Really, I mean, these guys just had like super brains of analyzing plays um, and were really kind of vital forces in getting me into dramaturgy. And when you got out of school, what jobs were you initially going for? Ooh, um, that that's a great question and maybe one that doesn't have a super fun answer. I always knew that I wanted to be like a dramaturg at a theater. Um, and I thought that surely I would finish my graduate program with an MFA and there would just be, you know, a buffet of jobs for me to choose from because I had an MFA and... That's how (laughs) life works. Um, And that's uh, not the case. Um, And I also really didn't understand that not every theater has literary managers or dramaturgs. I just assumed that it's such a vital position that every theater must have one. And so I was looking for dramaturgy jobs and there were none. Um, How were you finding jobs? I guess, were you looking at playbill.com? Basically (laughs) playbill.com. Yeah. Um, Some Googling, but it all kind of came back to that job posting on (laughs) playbill.com. And, you know, during that time, the thing that was really helpful was I looked at a lot of theaters um, staff listings and like learned organizational structures, um, which is really helpful, but there weren't any jobs. And so then I kind of did a pivot and thought about like what transferable skills do I have that might be could get me another job and I had actually and I wish I could say it was my theater skills but I had actually worked in publishing before I went back to grad school and so 
some people took a chance and thought maybe that would be transferable to like working with marketing. And my joke is that it's like they thought I used to touch a lot of paper. And so touching a lot of paper in a different kind of job was somehow a similar thing that it's actually much less transferable than I made it seem, but I sold them on this. Um, they're like publishing is paper and marketing involves brochures. Um, so I, I really think that's how I got my first job. Um, but that was helpful because dramaturgy is really applicable to marketing. It's I was like, going to say those two, when you just look at them on paper, they don't seem to be. But then when you break it down of what you were doing in those positions, it they kind of go hand in hand and probably... Uh, help each other out. Absolutely. And, you know, I tell a lot of like young dramaturgical types now to look in so many different departments in theater, at a theater, um, because the transferable skills like marketing really involves like people who understand plays and can translate that to audiences, which is exactly what a dramaturg does just in a different point in the process. Like I think of dramaturgy as being a conduit within the production of, of, um, I don't like use word explaining, but kind of, um, helping contextualize the play for like actors and directors and designers and all of those staff members. And so being a conduit for audiences is just the next step in that. So really marketing and dramaturgy are really, really similar and very transferable. Did you enjoy doing marketing? Did I enjoy doing marketing? I enjoyed it a lot of the time. I really missed being in a (laughs) rehearsal room um, and like actively working on shows. So I did like have a deep miss for um, being more hands-on in the process, but I did also really enjoy marketing. So I don't want to knock marketing at all. (laughs) So you said you enjoyed, there was something about being in the rehearsal process that you really missed. So what was that? What intrigues you or what? inspires you to be in the rehearsal studio yeah I think it you know and it's funny I would love to like go back to Jenna several years ago and be like one day you're going to be really tired of being in rehearsal all the time I still really love being in rehearsal I just find it funny now um you know I think the great thing about being in a rehearsal process and it people might think that dramaturgs like their bread and butter is new play development and I have never thought of dramaturgy in that terms of like yeah I um, I, when I think of dramaturg I don't think of okay hold on Go dramaturg ahead. or dramaturge <laughs> dramaturg hard dramaturg. g yeah okay, but dramaturgy good, good. Yeah. let's mm-hmm. let's break that down totally. um, <laughs> <laughs> no e no e on the end of dramaturgy either dramaturg. oh yes yeah. thank you for that oh my god what was i just saying oh yeah no i don't think of new works when i think of a dramaturg i think of older plays with lots of history that need to be bro- broken down like Shh. what i did with pride and prejudice right yeah yeah, I think well, of that. You know, I think it. everyone kind of has their own different definition of what a dramaturg is. And each dramaturg, I think, has such a drastically different approach to what their specialty is. Like, at this point um, in my freelance work, like, I don't do re- I do not do research dramaturgy anymore. Like, if, if somebody needs an actor packet to find out what years things happen, like, I can give you some names of some really great people um, who do that. But in terms of what I do nowadays for dramaturgy is really kind of like serving as a third eye in the process and giving like objectivity and adding some contextualization. It's a lot less about research. And some of the research that I do for shows might help contextualize where we are in the world of the play and so forth but it's not how much did a gallon of milk cost in 1955 which is my least favorite research question (laughs) to ever be asked um the answer is like it's cheaper than it is now like that's (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just what it is. Um, but, and you know, and some people don't think about dramaturgs at all on revivals or older works. They think of it just in terms of new play development. So it really just it runs the entire gamut. And I think the textbook definition of dramaturg is actually incredibly helpful and if you can find a dictionary that actually defines dramaturg but it does exist um but it's uh defined as the theory and practice of dramatic structure so really like the dramaturg is um the person in the room who knows a lot about how a lot of different plays are structured and can help hold the structure together so that might be seeing how its structure unfolds in a revival or it might be seeing how the structure unfolds in a new play but it's just kind of being um being on top I hate using the word expert so I don't want to say the expert on the structure but somebody who just really has like a handle on the structure of a story or what uh, the story could be or wants to be in that process so your English degree definitely came in because mm-hmm. I'm also I have a degree in English as well as totally very heavily uh, literature based for sure absolutely it's super super literature based and you know one of the things that it really irritated me in some of my English classes not my great one with my great professor but in other ones is that we would read plays and never think about the fact that like bodies were going to put them on stage like these were never going to be three you know an english department often uh thinks of a play as a really two-dimensional thing um when really like bodies were going to be inhabiting that space and similarly i would get sometimes irritated with my theater department in undergrad because they didn't want to analyze text in a really deep way um or way that I thought was deep enough. So there is like a constant conflict, I think, between those two things. And maybe dramaturgy lives in the middle of them quite a bit. So can you walk us through what you do for a production when you're working on it as a dramaturg? Sure. Um, I mean, and Signature is really specific and really different when it comes to how a show works, because um, we have writers that are once you're in residence at Signature, you're always kind of in residence at Signature and we really focus on a body of work. So there's a certain kind of approach that I take to shows at Signature that is just gonna be different than if I was at a different theater or freelancing things. But when it comes to Signature, like the first step in the process is always I read every single play that that playwright ever wrote, um, which is a lot of plays. Um, but that's how we that's usually how we pick our seasons. That's how we pick our writers. Um, so I'm really always operating from no, okay, and now I've said it, like I'm sure there's some Sam Shepard shorts that I've missed, but I've read a lot of plays. Um, and so that's kind of like the starting point of my context. And through that, you know, I might I start thinking of what kind of elements are really helpful for the people who are going to be in the rehearsal room. And that's directors, that's designers, that's actors, kind of everyone, and what's the most helpful. And that that's going to vary show to show. A lot of times it will be other plays by the same playwright that I think if the playwright is no longer with us, I particularly find this helpful of things to just add their voice to the room if they aren't physically with us. Um, I try to gather a lot of interviews with playwrights if it's a revival and the playwright has passed away um, to kind of contextualize how they talked about their own work. Um, when it comes to new play development, then it's kind of 
you hit the ground running in a different way each time. And if you're working on a show in the moment, um, you know, you might be going through pages and pages of revisions with the playwright on a daily basis. So that kind of differs. And in terms of like nitty gritty research, it's just different every time. And there are some shows that I've done like a lot of um, what I call like Google research, where I look up what year things happen and other times where I don't do that at all. So, you know, I'm working on a show right now, Fires in the Mirror um, by Anna DeVere Smith and which focuses on the Crown Heights riots in 1992. And that was like a lot of factual research, but you just kind of had to have that to understand where you're coming at. Whereas other shows, I did a, a play with Susan Laurie Parks a couple of years ago, um, Death the Last Black Man in the Whole Entire World. And that was like a lot of like abstract image research and kind of giving the whole team a bunch of um, images kind of throughout history that these characters were based on to kind of give a visual context. So it really, it, it's a huge spectrum every time of what I do, but there I kind of start from a similar place each time and then branch out. How soon, I guess, into pre-production are you introduced or are you at the beginning because you're choosing, you're helping choose the, the plays yeah. for the season? Sure. Because at Signature, I'm there from the get-go because um, I, you know, I'm on staff and we do season planning. When it comes to, so I'm there really, really, really early on. Um, and how soon do you guys choose your season like how far out oh that's a great question (laughs) um I think in a perfect world, we'd say it's about a year in advance, but there's always just going to be, I think every theater is the same way. There are always going to be things that fall out at the last minute, or especially when we're talking about, you know, we have all these playwrights in residence, and sometimes we don't know when a new play is going to be ready. It might get pushed back a year. It might get moved up a year. So some things come come into play like really late in the game, like a month or two before we announce things, and sometimes it's a year in advance. Well, that's really interesting, too, because I thought about as somebody who has to cure a season of plays you're trying to give audiences something that's timely and not always a year out can you get something Mm -hmm. that's going to be in the moment a year later yeah so how do you find that balance too um yeah i think you know to a large degree you can't program things that are just going to always feel like the thumb is on the pulse of things and um and also there's you know a matter of when it comes to revivals, which I think is really like what we're talking about when we talk about like topical season programming. I also hate the word revival, but it's fine. New productions of old plays. Um, You know, it's also a matter of like who's doing what play when. And I'm sure many, many theaters all had the same idea about a year ago, including ours um, about doing like a revival of A Bright Room Called Day and like congrats public you get to do that revival but so there's a little I don't want to call it competitive but there's only so many plays that we can bring back um, to be really topical but I think you know at the end of the day you know all theater is political and all theater can be topical like even living room dramas and so I think it's less a matter of trying to pick something that feels really of the moment and instead picking good plays that feel like you want to do them justice in that moment and knowing then how to talk about them in a present moment because the world might be completely different a year later and it's just a matter of feeling like that conversation is open enough that it can always be changing and evolving with your audience about what a play is like. So what kind of responsibility do you have in choosing the plays that you guys put on? Great question. It's, you know, that's a real 
um, it's a real team effort by our, our entire artistic staff. So, um, do you guys have a board that or a committee? It's 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 our artistic department. So that consists of our director of artistic projects and our artistic producer and myself and our associate artistic director and our artistic director. Everyone has artistic in their title, um, and which is a really amazing department of people. And so it's a lot of just like conversations um, amongst us and. Uh, and a lot of it, because at Signature, a lot of that is playwright driven, right? Like a lot of our playwrights might come to us and be like, you know what? I have this play from 10 years ago that I think like I would love to look at with fresh eyes or a play playwright is like, I have a new play that's ready this year um, or whatnot. So it really is kind of like an ongoing conversation. Um, and we all make suggestions and read a bunch of plays and it might be, and there's also kind of a complex matrix of how expensive things are and you know we can't do six nine person shows in a year um and so trying to divide those with if a player if we know we have a bunch of new plays which are kind of always big question marks budget wise then we might need to program some older plays uh that we know to be on the on the smaller budget side so it's a lot of just like balls in the air all the time yeah so I was going to ask looking at so I, I three for three years I worked at a regional theater which was a nonprofit. I have noticed since then looking at a lot of regional theaters and off-Broadway theaters here in New York that they have like an artistic associate group where they mm-hmm. have uh, artists in residency might be the better term for it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's really helpful for a theater like Signature or other theaters similar to Signature to help build a season? Because they have the artists probably more likely than not writers in the mix. Um, I think it's going to vary. And, you know, Signature, I actually don't know how, like, other theaters work um, in terms of associate artists and, like, what their participation is and, like, how they're involved. I know, I mean, it's, like, the reason that Signature exists is a playwright-driven model. So in our case, it is excellent. Um, And I also think there's, like, in my mind, and maybe this is true in other places that have like a coterie of artists um, associated with their institution, it really, I think, lends itself to a kind of like purity of mission that feels really good. It's like we have an artist-driven process, like full stop period, that's what we do. Um, And if you're operating on that, um, with that mission, uh, it's I like to call it glass half full dramaturgy where you're never like going through a slush pile and being like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Instead, artists are like, I really want to work on this project. And you get to say like, great, let's make that project the best project it can be. So I think it it at least um, puts everyone in a position of a real like positive approach to things as opposed to being in kind of a yes, no programming mindset. So I think it's a great thing. Um, and definitely I think there's in terms of how we support artists in in this country like there no one has enough money there's not enough money everywhere i don't want to say things that just like can't happen because we don't have secret vaults of money to do this but it is a way by having artists um closely associated with uh, an institution and be that i don't you know theaters might vary having them on salary or having stipends or having some kind of um, relationship with them. But that's another like very important way to support artists and make sure that the pipeline kind of continues to work of producing, of making theater and getting that theater produced. So part of your job is scouting playwrights, right? To find new voices for the theater. So how do you find these playwrights that necessarily haven't 
been produced uh, at major off-Broadway companies yet. Sure. Well, actually, in Signature, that is kind of the pool that we're looking at. So it's not as much reading scripts and trying to find undiscovered uh, people, but it's going to see like a lot of theater at small venues or keeping tabs on, I don't travel for my job, but keeping tabs on what's happening at regional theater. So it's more, I wouldn't say it's not a lot of reading scripts, but it is keeping um, keeping aware of like who are in emerging writers programs or writer director labs type things. And once those people, once you've seen a name like more than twice, it, they start to get on your radar in a certain way. Um, but it is making sure that I'm like really aware of everything that goes on at every venue that's under 100 seats, right? So anything that's having those really small productions are kind of the people that I want to know about. Um, That's a lot of show, so it's hard to keep up with. But that's kind of how we approach discovering new new works, Mm -hmm, new people. I was just going to say, between reading all of the playwrights' works mm-hmm. and then having to see or getting oh, yeah. to see all of these shows, uh-huh. you probably don't have a lot of free time. No, I don't. <laughs> nobody has enough free time. Yeah, no. I definitely don't have enough free time. I'm sure my dog would tell you I don't have enough free time. Yeah, it's a lot. So as a literary manager at The Signature, you have so many responsibilities. Is that always the case for a literary manager or is that pretty specific to the signature. Sure. Um, I'm sure I'll I'll try to do justice to literary managers across America and say we all wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things. Uh, signature is definitely different in the sense of I am also the production dramaturg, um, and not at not at every theater is the literary manager also the production dramaturg. Um, not every theater has a dramaturg in the rehearsal process. So in that sense, like it is. Uh, it's a lot of responsibility and wearing a lot of hats, but I think like the advantage is that it's a more holistic process of it's not, not to knock out any other theater. If anybody's listening to this, you're all beautiful. Um, But in the sense of, you know, I help program the season and then I'm there to help support the season and the rehearsal process as well. So I don't just like disappear to my office never to be seen from again. So I'm really entrenched in it. And that's great. You know, that I think goes to like supporting relationships and so forth. Out of all of the responsibilities you have as a literary manager, what do you think is your most favorite to execute? <laughs> oh my gosh, would what's that my be favorite? would that be a dramaturg? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, sometimes I even forget that my title is literary manager because 90% <laughs> of my job is to be a production dramaturg, truly. Um, it, my title might not even be accurate to what the majority <laughs> of my job is. Yes, like through and through, like production dramaturgy is the thing that I love. Absolutely. Is there a specific type of work that you really enjoy like delving right into? Oh, yeah. I mean, the weirder, the better. Like, I have very little to no interest in realism. Any kind of work that ha- just absolutely has to be a theater piece is the kind of stuff that I want to work on. And um, so really, like, some some weird stuff are the things I'm most interested in diving right into. Um, I do love some realism. There are some plays that I'm really excited about that are realism. But anything that feels like theatrical in form and using the form in a new way and using artifice in a new way and using theatricality and magic in certain ways are kind of the things I really love to to dive into. What's your relationship like with the playwright when you're a dramaturg? Sure. I, 
you know, varies playwright to playwright. And um, some playwrights I have really, really close relationships with and they like a lot of feedback. And some playwrights like a lot of help with research um, when they're beginning their processes. And some playwrights don't like to have a dramaturg around, which I 100% respect that approach and usually that is because or i'll say always that's because there is someone else in their realm who functions as a dramaturg to them be it a really close director or maybe some other ally so you know i think everybody um everybody desires dramaturgical support in some way it might just not necessarily be from the dramaturg that they have on staff that they see once every three years you know they might have another person um if i'm not working closely with the playwright it's probably that they have another person that serves that dramaturgical function of their heart um so it really really varies and of course like i like to have really close relationships with playwrights but how how they work on their plays is going to be always really different. And some are doing a lot of revisions in short amount of times. And some of them are doing not a lot of revisions over long periods of times. And so it really varies like how they need me in those moments. So then how much are you in the rehearsal process? I'm sorry, in the rehearsal room. Um, I generally speaking, what I do is so if, if rehearsal is a three week process before we go into tech, spend all of the first week there, um, which all of the first week is kind of the work week of like a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and then so basically and which usually for a lot of the times that's when they're at the table. Right. And maybe we're getting to the fir- doing table work and then maybe like the first pass of a few things on their feet. And then I will kind of take a little break in the second week as they start to like do blocking and work through things. And I drop just drop in like intermittently, like maybe for an hour or two a day. Um, and then I come back a lot more in the third week as we're doing run throughs and so forth. And that's when I start to give notes and feedback to the director and or playwright or whoever's involved. Um, and then once we go into previews and then I watch all the previews and and give notes on those too. Maybe not every preview, but a lot of previews in the preview period. And then you have post-show discussions. And then we have post-show discussions. I have the first one of the season tonight. (laughs) Um, So what do you do to prepare for that? What kind of groups are you... This is open to the public, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, So... Signature does a lot of talkbacks. We do four for each show, which doesn't include if we do student matinees. That comes out to if we do six shows, that's um, per season, that's 24 talkbacks a season. I moderate all of them. Um, Sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'll crest my 100th talkback at Signature, um, which is terrifying to think about. But uh, yeah, so how I prepare for them so it's basically it's the audience who's there that night you know we pick um a couple dates always a tuesday or never a two show day um and solidify them so it's a lot of subscribers um our subscriber demographic uh and then hopefully some other people who are maybe not as right who are just seeing just coming to signature see that show who aren't necessarily subscribers and how i prepare for them i used to prepare like really really intensely and made sure i like had every possible question uh, answer at my fingertips and because it's a I moderate the discussion with um either the director or the playwright or whoever actors all voluntary um so we have we're doing a one-person show right now so I hope Michael wants to join us tonight. Um, and but in the sense of one thing that I found that I'm so fascinated by is you know you can't really prepare for the first one at 
the show and but whatever questions get asked of the show tonight will be the exact same questions that are asked for the next three talkbacks. Like it's, it's truly fascinating. Um, and so we'll just see what they're going to ask. Usually people ask if it's a revival, they're like somebody in the audience will have seen the original production and they want to talk about how it was different or what's changed. And they want to say that they 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 saw it. it. They were in the room. (laughs) Absolutely. And they'll ask me exactly what's different. I'll have to say that was 30 years ago. I wasn't there. Um, But inevitably, I guarantee you someone tonight will, I might even just try to ward it off at the pass and ask who had seen the original production because I'm sure someone will say that. Mm -hmm. You, You mentioned that you guys have subscribers at Signature. So... Going back a little bit to what we were talking about with curating a season, how much of that goes into really like making your subscribers happy sure. mm-hmm. or pushing the boundaries of what you think that your subscribers should be mm-hmm. engaging with? Totally. And other question, other theaters would answer this question differently. But luckily for Signature, not really at all because we have a subsidized ticket program. So that's the catch. And not the catch. That's the great advantage of um, even though we have a subscription program, our tickets are $35. So people are going to come see our... We don't necessarily have to be super um, active in... Pleasing. Pleasing subscribers. Thank you. Um, but, and also, like, we, ha- we have these amazing, very committed subscribers, and because they're only paying $35 a show, even though to subscribe you pay up front and all this stuff, um, our subscribers tend to be like pretty good risk takers because at the end of the day, like if they haven't seen something they like, they only spent $35 on it. So they are much, much more willing um, to take risks on things, which is really exciting and really great. Um, And so we actually like don't really think about it at all, which is great. Um, And, and also we don't get a lot of pushback. Like we're, you know, we're not the kind of theater that gets like a ton of angry subscriber emails because I think we really cultivated a um, kind of a community and a process of taking risks on things. So, you know, certainly like we understand that certain shows appeal to certain kinds of people. But, you know, at the same time, I think it's all what you're always getting every show is an opportunity for a new audience and you kind of want to start from scratch every single time. And so that's, we just, if you program good plays, people will come to them. Can we talk about Salt Girl? Mm -hmm. So you kind of, you hinted at it in your intro. Yeah. But can you tell us more about it? So how, I guess, how how long ago did you? Um, Gosh, I I formally like became an LLC and started Salt Girl Consulting maybe like four or five months ago-ish. And it really grew out of the fact that I kept freelancing uh, doing dramaturgy projects, but like no one knew that I was freelance dramaturging things um, because obviously like I have a full-time job in which I dramaturg a lot. And and it also evolved out of, I started essentially like dramaturging things that aren't theater. So I did a couple events, um, basically like helping people plan how their evening was going to go for like fundraising type events and so forth. And I thought to myself, like I should try to explain, I explain things for a living. I should explain what I'm doing in a better way. So um, I formed the company with the intent to, um, tell people that there are like just a lot of ways that you can use dramaturgical skills. And certainly I freelance for a lot of theater projects, but I also freelance for a lot of non-theater projects. Um, And I thought it would be fun to have like a cool title on a website. Um, And it really, that really did work. I started, you know, once I 
told people that I had this company, they were like, oh, I didn't know that you were freelancing. And I'm like, wow, I must have been really bad at self-promotion prior to this. Um, and also, you know, I had started to branch out into developing some works for um, film and TV and just trying to, the word dramaturgy is like really scary to people. And um, like, I try not to use it very often because people are just always they everyone has a preconceived either they don't know what a dramaturg is or they have like a bad experience with one or they don't exactly know what they do and so um coming up with um a freelance business model that just says like I help people tell more powerful stories like that's what I do is just um kind of a user-friendly approach to what I've been doing for like a decade now it's awesome thanks it's like don't tell the kids that it's broccoli it's exactly Exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. How did you come up with the name? What, what does that mean? Um, in 100% honesty, I based it off of my AOL Instant Messenger name from when I was a teenager. That's too funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually um, really what I wanted to hear. <laughs> like, that, and that's the answer I was looking for. So you passed. Yeah, it's true. I mean, which has like a whole like reason behind it of I really thought that the Morton Salt girl was like really cool when I was younger. I thought she was awesome and like really stylish and so forth. And also and so that was my instant messenger handle. Um, And then on top of that, like if we would get really nerdy on it, like salt is like a really amazing, you know, it's a very it's the basis for so many important things. It makes things taste good. We need it to survive. It's preserves. It keeps our heart functioning with electrolytes like we need sodium so you know there's some health benefits there too (laughs) perfect (laughs) that's amazing so i want to jump a little bit to the future so do you have i mean not to say like what's your five-year plan but is there anything that you haven't yet done that you would love to experience because it feels like you've done a lot and that you've you've worked on a lot of different shows you've read a lot (laughs) yeah um before going to the future i want to jump back in one with one more question about your past dramaturgical experience. Mm -hmm. What was a process that stands out to you as being really memorable that you learned a lot from, whether it was really early on in your career or Mm -hmm. something a little more recent? Um, Gosh, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) um, I'm thinking of so many at the time. You know, I think I've I've had a lot of incredible experiences working on shows. I think one of the hardest and best and most special ones was, um, it's going to get heavy here for a second. Uh, in 2017, I worked on this play at Signature called Wakey Wakey by Will Eno. And the way that process happened was Will was working on a new play that we had planned and programmed for our season. And the plan was for our Signature's artistic director, Jim Houghton, to direct that play kind of in his first year after stepping down as artistic director. And um, Jim passed away before that play happened. Um, And so Will reconfigured and kind of wrote this play not really about Jim, but really inspired by and... um, it had a lot to do with like death and dying and illness and a bunch of us worked on it at signature my really good friend nicole martirana was the um line producer on it and we had all been really close to jim including one of the actors who was in the show and so here we were trying to make a new play in which like as a dramaturg i'm supposed to theoretically be the most objective person in the room and we're making a new 
play that was kind of about um, us losing our dear friend and mentor and boss and this father figure to us. So it was like an ongoing struggle every day of like, are we seeing this play clearly? And I think what we made was incredibly beautiful. I think we did that really successfully, but it was definitely a process of every day trying to keep yourself in check and knowing like, am I seeing reality? Am I seeing emotion right now? Like how do other people who don't have the same relationship to this material going to experience it? Um, so that was like a, a huge challenge um, in it. And so, you know, I would watch a run through and I'd be bawling and I'd be like, it's perfect. It's great. And then, I, you know, I'd have to take a step back and like really think about structure and clarity and so forth. Um, but that was like a really important test. And also it felt like this really meaningful experience because we were like a real family, like building this show together it's still like one of the most important shows that I've ever done so that was a great um it's probably Jim from the beyond like giving us a test um and but it really I learned a lot about dramaturgy in that process too especially like dramaturgy as I get older and I get closer to things and trying to maintain some objectivity but at the same time you know at the end of the day I can tell when something doesn't work in a play but when something does work you can't always say why and there's always going to be a step in the process where you're like I know this works I cannot tell you why structurally this moment works like you just have to trust it um, and so that was that was a big one thank you for sharing <laughs> that <clears throat> but move and now moving forward yes where do you uh, going back to Mary's original question what kind of goals do you have for the future of your career and or I was going to say, is there something that you haven't yet experienced oh, sure. that that you would really love to, to tick off in the next like year or so? Totally. I think the first thing that comes to mind is like taking a real vacation for more than three days is something I would like to experience in the future. Um, but other than that, um, you know, I'm I'm really interested in doing more film and TV work. I've started to consult on some things, and I think we're also in this moment of like TV is being taken over by playwrights in a way that's really amazing. And it's like TV woke up one day and discovered like that structure could help them out, shockingly. So um, I'm really excited to see where that goes. And I would love to be more involved with that um, as it moves forward. Um, And, you know, in terms of... Uh, theatrical work that I'm really, and this is going to be so vague, but at the same time, I'm really interested in doing more work that is, that we can't reproduce. Um, I think a, a phrasing that often gets thrown around with um, people who do season planning or programming is, you know, they'll say things like, I'm really interested in work that is unproducible. And I think most of the time what they mean by that is they is that they mean that it can't be replicated eight times a week, kind of. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, one of the most important things that ever happened to me in my theater life, or actually in my life in general, was Taylor Mac's 24-hour show at St. Anne's Warehouse a couple of years ago, and which everyone called that unproducible. And they're like, they produced the unproducible. I'm like, well, then it wasn't unproducible. Was. <laughs> they did it. We just can't do it eight times a week. <laughs> and so I'm really interested in the fact of, you know, we talk about theater as this lot, this live event. And the reason that it's different from film and TV is that it's a live event. And yet at the same time, we are kind of always striving for verisimilitude for eight shows a week. And I wonder like what 
uh, what can happen with the art form if we're not married to this formula of trying to make something that we can produce the same way night after night after night. Um, so I'm really interested in like breaking open that form a lot. We know a lot of our listeners are young professionals um, in a variety of areas of theater. Was there something about your, as you were coming up in the industry, specific to mentoring that that you could speak on that really helped you and guided you? I know we talked earlier about like who in your school inspired you and helped you, but just in, you know, coming up in the industry. Sure. I, uh, oh, that's a tough one. Cause I, I look back on a lot of things and wish that people had mentored me better than maybe they did. Um, but you know, I definitely had a lot of great mentors. Jim Houghton was absolutely one. And I think what distinguishes good mentors from just boss type people that you're around is uh, I think a good mentor is someone who is kind of constantly in your face to remind you to ask them things and um and I I hope I do that with my interns and my associates now and I can probably always be doing a, a better job of it but just having that opportunity you know even as much as we tell young people to be proactive and so forth and and uh, that's not always very easy to do in a professional setting because it's always like, when is the right time to ask a question? What is a good question? Are there any stupid question? Is there such a thing as a stupid question? And so I think for mentors, what's been so valuable is people constantly repeating to me, like, ask a question. What do you want to do? Et cetera, et cetera. And really being kind of in my face about it. Um, and because then I became like less afraid to ask for those things or to ask questions. Um, and I hope that people like continue to do that. But it's one of those things of, you know, I think of myself as a really approachable person. And yet I can probably do a better job of making sure that the door is always open for my interns and my um, the young associates that I work with, just like I'm sure I I've had lots of people who have been senior to me who think of themselves as super approachable, but who I was like terrified to ask questions of when I was younger. So um, I really think there's there's um, a like pleasant aggression <laughs> to, to be seen in mentors that are is really helpful and really vital. Thank you. We so we tend to ask as a last question. We I know tend that, to. We always we ask. Always, we we tend to. Um, but I know you have to get off. You have to go to the talk back soon. So the talk back. Yes. We, we always ask our guests as a final question. What was the last great piece of theater that you saw? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, I somehow feel like this might be a really difficult question for you to answer. Question. I see. I see so much theater, and I'm so picky, you guys. Um, <laughs> What what was the last thing that I really loved? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I saw Soft Power last week. And um, I'm not... This is going to be a spoiler, but it's not a spoiler because the New York Times mentioned it in the review, so I think it's fine. Truly, like, the moment in which the orchestra is revealed in that show made me ball like a child. Like, I... And it was just the most beautiful, emotional thing. And, like, the way Janine Tesori has, like, made this incredibly referential and beautiful and specific score is just like mind blowing to me and there's a ton of humor in it and so forth and so I was just like riveted the entire time um, to this show and also like the structure is hilarious that it's a play that has a musical inside of it like a little kinder egg or something um, <laughs> so and my my best friend Allison Bressy was sitting next to me when I just started sobbing when the orchestra revealed so she can attest that this is what happened but um, I think that's the last thing that like really like blew me away well thanks so much thank and you can you 
just tell us where we can find you on Instagram or oh my gosh. Twitter or whatever you're <laughs> on social media that wise? That is great. Um, and where uh, can and your I website. Oh, yeah. My website is saltgirlconsulting.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram, which is mostly photos of my dog, um, which is at Jenna Clark Embry. Um, J-E-N-N-A-C-L-A-R-K-E-M-B-R-E-Y, <laughs> as I just had to think of how to spell my name. We'll put it all in the description Thank notes for so everyone. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.